Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Western Hotline back at it now with Cover One's Greg Thompson, who joins me uh, live here. Greg, so it's birthday weekend. You and Greg Jr., you both have the same birthday, which is pretty cool. He's turning, uh, he's turning five, and you're turning 30. Congratulations for that, buddy. I, I really Did you see that? that? Did you see? I'm, I'm, I'm a good friend. All day. I'm a good friend. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, my, my wife was a, a real hero helping us set it up that my my wonderful son was born on my birthday, shared the same name. It's really fun now. I'm pretty sure someday some paperwork will be a pain, yep. but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in the future. Uh, yeah, hundred uh, percent it will. But you know what? Like, hey, uh, he gets he gets to bear the name. That's all that matters, man. Um, so, well, well, first and foremost, thank you for joining me this weekend. I know you got a lot going on, so I I, I wanted to get you in because I want to talk a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I've I've had a, a slew of guests today, starting from you know Sal, Matt Perino, Matt Verderam, and and John Ledger last segment. And you know, obviously, John is more, at least for myself one of the more respected people in terms of film and guys that are really clued in on, on these prospects and, and sort of what their strengths and weaknesses are. And we I, today I. Just talked a lot about Zayvon Collins, and the reason I did that is because I think he's been a topic of conversation on Bill's Twitter for, I think, the better part of this week. Um, and, and I think probably because more and more as we all sort of see mock drafts play out, I know I did a mock yesterday here um, live with the guys at WGR, and the more and more I'm seeing mocks, the more and more I'm seeing just kind of, I don't want to call it worst case scenario, but just not... Not a scenario that I think the Bills would have loved to have at 30, just with guys remaining. And, and it seems like Zavin Collins is sort of almost always there for the Bills there. And I think I think a lot of people are just making some connections and, and, and starting to maybe become familiar with what it would be like to draft a guy like Collins. And, and I talked a little bit with John Ledger last segment, Greg, about you know him moving up to 270 pounds, what that means. Is he trying to send a message to NFL teams of like what he wants to do in the NFL, where he believes he's best suited? But even, you know, like I was saying, if he comes anywhere, uh, if, if you know he ends up as a team that wants to play off-ball linebacker, the first team the team's going to ask him to do is lose the 20 pounds he just gained. Um, being a 270 as an off-ball linebacker really serves no value or purpose. Um, and frankly, he's a little too heavy to be at the edge, I would think, for some teams as well. So, like, what do you make of this conversation about some of the infatuation around Zayvon Collins? And, and, and what do you think about some of the maybe... 
what do I want to, how do I want to put this? What do you think about some of the justifications you're hearing and seeing about picking a linebacker like Collins at 30, even though it's probably the one position they have figured out long-term in terms of guys that are young, still have a lot of football left in them, and they're going to end up spending a lot of money at the position. It, so it's funny. I spent a lot of the early part of this offseason watching Collins, watching Jeremiah Wusukormoa, watching mm-hmm. Micah Parsons, because I was under the assumption yep, that, hey, same. it's... 50 at best we can afford Matt Milano so now when you pivot to this and now we know we have Milano back um, I'm assuming it's just a matter of days until we see the Tremaine Edmonds fifth year option picked up I I understand it I get it that hey maybe we have more versatility we can't let teams run on us we won't have to pivot to the nickel all the time I I don't know that that's a first round pick for me and if it is I don't know that it's the the guy with the versatility to go forward. I, I would, you know, if Jeremiah Wusukoromoa falls and we have a guy who, hey, maybe he can be a third safety, maybe he can be a nickel coverage guy and he's a linebacker, that interests me. I, I know some people have said maybe he's our Lorenzo Alexander replacement and that he can play reps at third linebacker and then rotate a defensive tackle, even the defensive end, and rush. You know, that would be a big transition. Eric Turner did a lot of work showing that, you know, he has the traits. You can assume he's able to do that. He has not shown that on film. He is not a pass rusher right now. He is an off-ball linebacker. I'll be frustrated if that's our pick at 30, just because I don't think that's the best use of it. He's a really good player, so I get it. I'll get my head around it, but I will be very surprised if that's the pick. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, and, and I think that's where I agree, because here's the thing, Greg, and, and a lot of people's justification come, coming back to me is, well, Nate, you know, they can run a 3-3-5, or they can run this or that, and and I and kind of my, my, my stock answer or response to that is, what has given you the indication one player is going to fundamentally change a system that has allowed Sean McDermott to get through the ranks to be a head coach in the league? By the way, this system has gotten a team to a Super Bowl, has gotten a team to the AFC Championship game, has gotten defenses in the top four and five in the league. That's not a guy that strikes me, Sean McDermott or Leslie Frazier. They're not guys that strike me as a, oh, we drafted somebody 30th overall. Oh, well, we're going to fundamentally change the other 10 players on this defense's roles and what we're asking asking them to do because we drafted somebody at 30. That's just it's just not a good it's just not a good position. If you're telling me that they're going to draft him because you want another guy who can play who can have that Lorenzo Alexander type role, I still don't like the, that justification, but it's better than telling me they're going to switch to a 335. 100%. And we've had that there are players that you do that for. Sure, yeah. And there are players that hey it's come along and you're picking early on and the next Sean Taylor comes up and, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's there. And you already have you know Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. You figure out how to make it work with the next Sean Taylor. You, know, you figure out how to make it work with some other guy and there's a chance that, oh, my gosh, we have a Ray Lewis or we have a Brian Erlacher or a guy that you just cannot keep this player off the field. I think Zayvon Collins is really good. I don't think he's that. He's not the guy that, oh, I can't believe it's there. You know, even if we draft Jeremiah Wusu Kormoi, he's a great player. I'd be ecstatic. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't come in and play 100% of snaps. He would still rotate. Taron Johnson is still going to play football. Yep. Um, he might, you know, take away a good chunk of snaps, but it, it's the luxury of the talent and depth of this roster that Brandon Bean has built. We're in a great position. We're not. No rookie is coming in to start 100% of snaps. Maybe there's an offensive lineman. Maybe. 
I, I don't see that being the case. I think a lot of the guys are going to come have going to have to come in, work their way in, earn snaps, and that's a great problem to have. It's a, certainly it is. I agree. It is certainly a great problem to have, but. When you consider that, because I think that's spot on, I think whoever they draft at 30, whoever they get at 61, these are guys that are going to be sort of put into a competition, but I, there isn't really a starting spot available on this team. Uh, maybe you can argue tight end might be up for grabs. Maybe you can argue left guard if you bring somebody in. Maybe they get they get planted into that three-way competition there, and, and maybe they're the winner, and, and maybe that's the scenario that you draft a legitimate day-one starter, but I don't think there anyone at 30 is really fitting in as a day-one starter, so if you can Consider that. If you consider that whoever they pick at 30 is likely not a day one starter, what's the one position you look at and say, man, knowing that the future of this position is so important, I think they need to take a guy right here, even if it's, even if that means they trade up and go get a guy. I I view it as edge, but I think I could be talked into corner, um, and I think I could be talked into guard as well. Those are my top three, so we're exactly on the same page. And I get the argument. I think Sal's made a really good case for why it makes sense for wide receiver and why you look at guys like that because, you know, it's weird to think that, hey, you might draft a guy that might start as wide receiver five this year, but maybe they're wide receiver two next year. That That's a valid case. Um, I think there are some guys, if we have the right guy fall, if a Greg Newsom falls, if something crazy like a J.C. Horn or a Patrick Sertain falls, or they move to 20 and you move up to go get them because they're sliding a little bit, those kind of guys, maybe they beat out Levi Wallace or Dane Jackson from day one. Most of the other guys, when you talk about Asante Samuel Jr., you talk about Ifedi Malfanu, you talk about any of these other guys who are good, they're really nice, they might be a long-term starter, they might not come in and beat Levi Wallace day one. So, I still think the most valuable position, the ones that you see paid the most money that we want, the four-year rookie deal and the fifth-year option, are pass rusher and cornerback. I would love to have one of those. I get the idea that on this team, sure, a, a Najee Harris or a Travis Etienne would get a ton of reps right off the bat. They'd make a big impact. I, I totally get that. I, I don't think that's the best use of that draft pick. I think that with Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison there, with – Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley, a receiver, with only having you know Levi Wallace and, and Dane Jackson at outside corner and Taron Johnson in a contract year. Those are premium positions that we need impact players maybe this year, for sure next year. This is a great opportunity to invest in those high-level premium positions, bring somebody in that helps for the fact that we just gave out three huge contract extensions and are about to give out two more. That'll be a huge impact if we get premium positions at a low cost. Cover One's Greg Tomset joining me here on the Western Hotline. We're talking the 30th pick here, obviously just several days away from Thursday evening. Uh, I will be along with Joe DiBiase bringing you live coverage probably right around the 25th pick after the Sabres game and kind of leading you into the pick and, and, and reaction afterwards. But Greg, I, one of the things that I, I found really interesting about this draft and the exercise we did yesterday with that mock draft is that you know, I, I think the trade-up conversation is maybe not being talked enough about it, just overall. I think there's been a lot of conversations about sitting put. There's a lot of conversations about the Bills trading back. This is, to me, not the draft I want to be collecting later assets for. And not only that, it's just in the team that I think they the, the Bills can't go into this offseason with 10 rookies. Um, it's just it's going to be, especially if you want to grab a receiver, if you want to grab a running back. I, I just think that's I, there's going to be guys in the sixth and seventh round that are going to have a tough time making this football team. So knowing that, I would rather you move a third, a fourth round, a fifth round pick. Um, at maybe you could sell me on maybe if they could secure a 2022 pick. I, maybe I'd feel fine about trading back that way. But 
to me, trading up from 30 to maybe the mid-20s or the early 20s makes way more sense in this year's draft than trading back. But I'm interested in your sort of justification of that whole uh, conversation. So I think it starts with your first point. Your first point is key. There are not seven or eight rookie roster spots available right now. Now, that doesn't mean the only path to that is trading up. I, I actually have been an advocate of a small trade back from the first to the early second to get some ammo to then trade up, use up all those fifths and sixths and sevenths which was, with whatever you get to move back into day two. Give me four or five day two picks and call it a day. I don't care if they have one pick on Saturday mm-hmm. on day three. Um, you know, So I wouldn't mind that, that path if they can. And obviously, I like the analytics of that. I like the additional value. I like having four or five darts to throw with those high-level guys in the top 100. But, you know, I heard how quickly Brandon Bean said, you know, hey, let me tell you, if there's a really good guy there at 30, we're not trading down. That's the words of a lifelong career talent evaluator. That's a guy who prides himself on knowing who the guys are. It means if he has a tier that drops off, and I know talking to guys at the Draft Network, talking to our guys at Cover 1, Everybody that I've talked to, there's 18 to 24. I heard one team has 16. The most I've heard is 24. Most guys around 19, 20, 21 players with a first-round grade in this draft. Um, You can't help that that's how many there are. Mm -hmm. That's probably not counting some quarterbacks. That's not counting some other positions. There's going to be some reaches. At some point, you're going to get to pick 21 with Indy, pick 24 with Pittsburgh, pick 25 with Jacksonville before you get to a gauntlet of four straight really good playoff teams that run Pittsburgh, Baltimore, New Orleans, and Green Bay right before Buffalo picks. They all want a cornerback. They all want a pass rusher. They have smart front offices. It will make a lot of sense that if one of those top – Aziz Ojolari, Quiddy Pay, mm. you know, uh, Greg Newsom, one of those top end – Patrick Sertain for some crazy reason, uh, whoever, one of those top end pass rushers or cornerbacks – gets to that area, and now all of a sudden you're in the 20s where it doesn't cost you the second-round pick. Maybe you have to give them the third and you get back an extra fourth or fifth or something like that, and you move up to leapfrog those guys, and Jacksonville drops from 25 to 30. You move ahead of those four teams, and you get that last high-end first-round grade pass rusher or the last first-round grade cornerback. That is absolutely Brandon Bean's M.O. I would not be shocked at all. Greg, the other thing that I find interesting here is thinking about a player that might drop, right? And and I think there's two really good candidates that are, you know, probably in any other year top 15 picks but could totally find themselves in the mid-20s simply based off of either medical concerns or off-the-field concerns. And the two guys that stick out to me are linebacker from Penn State, Mike Parsons. Um, I think he's maybe the best candidate for a guy that is likely – I, I, I'm not saying this in a place of knowledge or insider information. I think what his off-the-field concerns have probably gotten him taken off of boards completely by teams. Um, I think it's totally viable. The other guy is Jalen Phillips, Miami's uh, defensive end and edge player. You know, with the medical concerns at UCLA, um, retiring, and then kind of coming back to play, I think there's a lot of concerns um, about you know using a first-round pick on him. But if you are the Bills and you find yourself in a position, particularly with Jalen Phillips, he's available there at 30, or you got his teammate, Gregory Russo, if you're looking at those two in particular, and at 30, you, you determine Ed Rush is the guy, which of those are you taking? Are you, are, are you looking at, at Phillips as, you know, 
maybe we're willing to overlook some of the injury issues, but we know, Greg, how much availability means to this team. How much, um, you know, having the... I, I also think in a year where maybe you don't have a full story on medicals, that might maybe scare you away from Phillips. Or the other guy with Russo, who's a guy who opted out last year, um, who's a guy that has pretty limited film, but has the... I, I think has the the skills, the traits. So if you're, if you're choosing between those two Miami Edge players, who's the guy you're going with? So... It- I would, if I'm going to roll the dice, I'm going to go with the traits and the ability I saw with Jalen Phillips. Um, I think there were still some challenges with what we saw with Gregory Rousseau, but I get the draw from a productivity standpoint. I'll add in a couple, add in a couple others here. I made a proclamation or a, a prediction the other night that out of the four biggest questionable guys, so you talked about Jalen Phillips and Gregory Rousseau, we'll add in Micah Parsons, we'll add in Caleb Farley's back. I guaranteed that none of those four players will be a Buffalo Bill at pick 30. Now, all bets are off if they fall to the second round and something crazy happens. But when you add those four teams I talked about at 26, 27, 28, 29, the Browns, the Ravens, the Packers, the Saints, smart front offices, similar needs, I don't see any scenario where the Bills have information that tells them it's okay to pick him and then those four teams don't have that information. Yeah, they that's a good don't point. That's a good point. Yeah. Or that the Bills have information that says, hey, we're going to stay away, which means if he falls to them, it's because those four teams have yeah. that information. That's a good point. And they're, so I, no, the second round's all in crazy stuff happens. I guarantee there's no chance those four players are a Bills pick at 30 because either they don't make it to them or if they make it to them, they're not picking them. Greg, um, last couple of things here for you. I'd be remiss if we didn't at least um, broach the running back conversation because I think think there's a very real chance, Greg, that Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, um, I I don't know about Najee. I think think Najee ends up in Pittsburgh. Uh, And if he makes it past Miami at 18, I think he's not making it past 24 um, in Pittsburgh. And and whether or not, I I mean, I don't agree with either of those picks being good ones for those teams. Um, But let's just say for the sake of argument, he's gone. I think Travis Etienne is very much in play at the 30th overall pick. And if he truly is best available, I think Brandon Bean is truthful when he says he will have no hesitation taking him. Do you believe that if he is the best player available, that the Bills really will have a hard time saying no, even if, you know, we all... I, I, listen, I, I think Brandon Bean understands the value of, of, of a running back in the first round, and, and maybe it's not the best use of value, but I also believe that he's not going to reach for a defensive player if his grade is, you know, a t- if he has a first-round grade on Travis Etienne and there's no other first-round grades on the table, he's going to take Travis Etienne. That, the way you phrase that is exactly right. Now, I hope that's not the case. <laughs> I, hope, I hope a bunch of safeties and linebackers and offensive tackles and running backs and receivers all go and we have our choice of Travis Etienne or Greg Newsom, Travis Etienne or Aziz Ojolari or Pay or whoever. But you're spot on. They are not going to usurp position premium over their draft grades. They're just not. Now, I think they take it into account. I think it's part of how they peg their board. I think that there are positions that you kind of have to take away a little bit and that, you know, just because you have a long snapper or a two-down thumper linebacker or a run-stuffing defensive tackle degrades really well, if that's all they can do, it's worth less. Now, I think people go overboard nowadays with running back. Running back's more important than those other positions. They are impactful positions. 
I will get my head around it and I'll lull myself to sleep by watching Travis Etienne's highlight reel and just watching how amazing he is. I'll get over it. Um, it's not my favorite use of that premium asset we have in a first-round pick, but it's also the position that we're in where they filled a lot of needs on this roster. And it, I've used the, the example, and it's an easy one to pick, you know, I, I bet you Kansas City wished that they pick a premium offensive yeah. lineman last year mm-hmm. instead of a running back. They could have used that depth in the Super Bowl, but Clyde Edwards-Hiller was really good, and they did some good things with it. So I hope that's not the case because I believe you're right that if there is not a you know a, you know Elijah Vera Tucker is not there and one of the premium you know Rashawn Slater or one of these amazing guys who play tackle or can play guard one of the cornerbacks, one of the defensive ends, a Wusu Koromoa, someone like that. I hope it's an easy pick that we all see it coming and everybody knows who the pick's going to be and position premium and grade meets best player available, and it's an easy choice because if it's not, it could be Travis Etienne, it could be Najee Harris, it could be Javante Williams. If they have one of those guys graded as a first-round pick, it's possible. I hope that the board can save Brandon Bean from himself is my wish. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I, you know, as much as I love ETN and I do like the fit of him, I, it, it just, it doesn't really move the needle for me. I would rather go, I'd rather go with one of the offensive linemen, to be honest, um, even if they've got a second round grade. And I guess for me, the, the, the one last area, Greg, that I find could be an interesting spot is the wide receiver position and, and sort of the conversation around it. I, there's no doubt that if you're looking right now for help, maybe whoever you take, let's say Rashad Bateman falls to you, which I think would be huge for the Bills. I, you know, he's probably not going to have a huge impact in year one, but you know, Cole Beasley's under contract for another year. Emmanuel Sanders will be around for just probably a year. They're gonna need. They're gonna have holes at wide receiver for the future. And we know Brandon Bean mentioned the future will be a part of this pick. Wide receiver, who stands out to you at thirty as maybe a home run pick for this team that maybe teams or guys uh, fans wouldn't necessarily love right off the bat, but as a player for the future that makes a ton of sense for this team. So it, it's funny because the names you hear most often are the two Moors, Rondale Moore and Elijah Moore. For me it would be one of the guys that we don't really have, which is a super elite X receiver, like a guy who is just a physical presence and also has speed, also has route running, also has the, you know, separation ability. So the nervous ones for me would be Rashad Bateman and Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU. Mm. Um, I'll be excited if they pick a guy like Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore, and maybe they can contribute a little as a returner. And then we'll look at it in the future. And it's, you know, it's disingenuous of me to talk about the future needs at defensive end, the future needs a cornerback, and not at receiver. Because Colby's is 32, Emmanuel Sanders is 34. It makes sense. I do think it's easier to rotate in at defensive end than at cornerback than what you'll get probably, you know, fighting for fifth receiver reps with Isaiah McKenzie, who they also want to get some reps in on the field. Um, but it's still a long-term need. It makes sense. Um, Rashad Bateman would be a, a really interesting one. You know, the, just the alpha mentality and those kind of ball skills to go up. Plus, he can get open and has that separation. That's, you know, people talk about the things we had before with Andre Holmes and Kelvin Benjamin. Those guys are just not going to get drafted anymore. You have to even to get in the conversation, have to have route running the separation ability to get open. Then the tiebreakers for me are that size and leaping ability and, and super high-end explosiveness. Um, I like the quickness and, and the ability of uh, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore. Rondale Moore's 5'7". Like, that's not a big guy. 
I, I'm excited about what he could do. He's maybe an upgrade over Isaiah McKenzie. He's never going to be that number one receiver guy. There's a chance that Rashad Bateman or Terrace Marshall Jr. are a guy that defenses have to pay attention to opposite of Stephon Diggs and draw coverage away or feast on it with the attention that Stephon Diggs gets. That would be an interesting pick for me. All right, Greg. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Enjoy your birthday weekend uh, with you and little Greg. Um, appreciate you making time for us. Love the inside. Well, you and I will be back in contact uh, towards the end of next week, and we'll have you on at some point as well to uh, for a little uh, live draft reaction as well. So appreciate you, brother. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk soon.